I'm going to start by exploring all the jobs I never had, all the jobs that never had me. And the reason I'd like to tell my story through this is because I think that we spend so much time working and so much time trying to define ourselves through work that being able to take a step back and find the humour in where you've been and why you've been there is quite important. So the first job I ever had, the first paid job, was when I was 14 years old. And I lied about my age, I said I was 16. And there's absolutely no way I could have passed for 16, so I think I just chose to believe it. Uh, so it was in a supermarket, in a shopping mall, demonstrating dream steamers, little irons that you could take away with you when you were travelling. And my job was to stand there and iron little pieces of fabric. I should probably admit that I never ironed anything, never did then, did once for somebody who had work shirts and thought that it was a good little woman job to iron shirts, but I did a worse job than him because he was ex-military. And I just don't believe in ironing. But at 14, you know, it wasn't really an issue. I didn't have some great hang-up around ironing then. It was just a weird, boring job, ironing little pieces of fabric in a supermarket to make people buy stupid little irons. And... It was fairly successful. They sold for the equivalent of £10 today and I got £1 commission on each iron I sold. That was my pay. And my best sale was some dude that came in, some slightly unusual dude that came in and bought 10 because he said he had lots of family that needed dream steamer irons but I think he was probably just trying to make my day better or who knows who knows what his motivation was but that day I made the equivalent of 10 pounds it was the best day ever and it was job number one Job number two was working in my father's office over the summer, receptionist. I learned how to paint my nails absolutely flawlessly, how to pretend to be a girl, how to answer a phone, how to record people's timings, you know, their clock cards, I guess how to not annoy the managing director who was basically an absolute tit and yeah just sit there and do stuff 
learnt how to get on side with people who weren't highly paid, how to be friendly to people, how to avoid getting into trouble. Best story from that job is a chap who used to phone in and flirt shamelessly over the phone. One day he was having to come into the office for a meeting and said he couldn't wait to meet me because I had the sexiest voice ever. Walked in and saw a 16-year-old who didn't look even 16 then. I was very small and the look of absolute horror on his face made it all worth it. The other great thing about that job was my father's best friend who used to phone in and pretend to be somebody else and make crank calls essentially. That was fun. And going into the typing pool when like it was still about loads of women sitting in a row and typing on typewriters that were considered state-of-the-art because you could backspace and delete. Oh, yeah, totally different world. And I look back on those times with fondness and amusement. All I wanted to be was Annie Lennox and be an artist. But it was my first real experience of doing a job that you know, it doesn't really fulfill the things you want to do, but it pays a bit of money and you get to learn how to deal with people that aren't like you. And on reflection, that's something I should revisit. Like, how, how do you get on with people that aren't anything like you? How do you act well enough in work to fit that's probably a really important skill. Job number three was in a pharmacy. Saturday job, Sunday job. And it was all about rearranging the makeup, uh, directing people towards products that they wanted messing around with the junior pharmacist, not sexually, having silly conversations and one day he and I got into massive, massive trouble when he fancied somebody else that worked there and we wrote a little love letter and stuck it in the pharmaceutical counter, apparently that's not done. I guess he should have known better, um, maybe, maybe I should have known better. We didn't mean any harm, it was supposed to be funny. It kept me employed. I worked there every weekend for many, many years, like from 16 to probably 20. I did weekends and when I left school I did 
some weekdays when I wasn't at uni. And I learned a lot about customer service, about people. And it also opened up a later job, spoiler, that I had to take when I couldn't do anything else. Job number four started when I left school and enrolled at teaching college. So I was doing teaching college, working at the pharmacy, needed more money. So I started doing an after school club. And I really enjoyed it. It was it was a great job. It was spending time with kids who couldn't go home after school for whatever reason. And it was amazing. It was weird. It was challenging. It was amazing. Three big memories from that job. One, the little boy who was being so badly bullied that he soiled himself and I ended up being the one who had to carry him to the bathroom and wash him in a basin and find other clothes for him. Two was walking in a river that had glass or sharp objects on the riverbed which nobody realised this is before the days of risk assessment and protecting people from everything and anything and one kid cut his foot open and I picked him up and he was bleeding all over me and yeah I was 17 years old I had no idea what to do but we figured it out somehow a memory three from there really hurt and taught me a lot of things about life and me. They restructured their after-school team because most of the children there came from broken families and they were mostly single-parent female families. So they got rid of me and hired two young men instead because two young men were going to be far better role models for those children than me. Um, I didn't get a chance to say goodbye, and I'm probably still sad about that. Job number four in one quarter comes from when I still needed to make money and I wasn't working at the after school anymore. So I washed bottles and delivered drinks for about a nanosecond at a local hotel pub thing. Um, I left that when I realised how much I hated washing dishes and when I got tipped six pennies from some dude who'd been drinking all night. I told him to keep the money. He knew more than I did. 
Job 5 occurred while I was still studying teaching and it involved teaching English as a second language to some children from the townships in South Africa at a private school in Santon. My role there essentially was to ensure that these tiny little children, they were aged four to six maximum, to ensure that they embedded their learning of the English language. These kids were away from their families in boarding school and they were punished for speaking anything other than English. I was supposed to manage their behaviour after school and teach them conversational English. Um, I remember a few things from there, a few interesting things. One, a child who was in trouble and I was supposed to deal with it after school because he'd been asked to write something and he'd drawn this amazing picture of a dinosaur instead. And for that he was non-compliant. It was an amazing picture though. And I pointed out how artistically brilliant it was. Don't know how well that went down. Another thing I remember from there is being observed and spelling the word embarrassed wrong. You try it, it's not that easy. Another one was a child who was the same size as me. A six-year-old who was as tall as me and broader than me who for some reason thought it was appropriate to grab my breast while I was talking to him. My gut reaction, remembering I was about 19 at the time, was to kick him on the shin. Neither he or I ever spoke of that again. Other amazing, bizarre and totally fantastic God, nothing worse happened memory from there was taking them all after school on a trip to the zoo in Johannesburg. So I had to drive on the motorway. I'd had my license for half a year, maybe. No, probably a year by then. I was driving an Audi 100 LS, which was older than me. My feet couldn't reach the pedals and I piled six children into that car and drove them half an hour, half an hour on the motorway. <laughs> there were no risk assessments, there was no support, it was just me and these kids. And driving along the motorway, somebody started hooting really loudly and I was like what what's the matter or I, I think I'm driving safely turns out one of the kids in the backs opened the door on the motorway nobody fell out we got to the zoo parked up the car six very excited young children under the age of six and me and one of them ran off so instead of looking for the animals we played a game of let's find your friend uh, must have taken about three hours, but I managed somehow to get them all back into the car, get back to the boarding school.
final memory from there, uh, when I decided not to work there anymore, was the six of them. They were so cool. I mean, these kids were amazing. I didn't follow the no English, like no a home language rule. I didn't make them speak English all the time. And I couldn't be totally professional with such young children, you know, if they wanted to cuddle, if they were sad. I just mummied them as best as somebody who's never been a mother at that time could. So we had a, a kind of cool, close relationship in a good way, not a bad way. And when I left, they, they'd composed or rehearsed the song together, the six of them. It was great balls of fire. And they just lined up and did this dance and sung this song to me. It was one of the best things, one of the best gifts I've ever been given when I've left a job. Job number six was all about the swimming school. So I was still working at the pharmacy a bit, although my copy book was blotted by the curious incident of love letters to the pharmacist's interests. Um, wasn't working at the after school anymore, wasn't working at the extra English school anymore. Still needed money. So I took a job as a swimming instructor and apparently the reason I got the job was because of my beautiful style. So yeah. Turns out that it was probably a little bit more about the guy who ran the swimming school being a bit of a perv, really, I guess. Um, so I used to go there, teach people swimming, get wet. Yeah, he got me to teach his son how to play Moon River on the piano. Um, got to the point where he had to reduce his staff. There was myself and one other swimming instructor. It was her whole life. That was the only thing she was doing. I was studying. Um, he told me about needing to reduce the staff and asked me what he should do. And I said, just let me go. For her, it's a real thing. For me, it's just filling the gap. And I left. Job number seven occurred when I'd flunked out of teaching college uh, and had to get a real, real job, you know, one of those that you do all day, every day. <laughs> the only real experience I had was working in the pharmacy, the only real testable experience, seeing as I wasn't studying teaching anymore. So I went through an agency and told them the only thing I didn't want to do was work in the pharmacy. 
So they sent me for a couple of interviews. Uh, one was with a car hire company. While I was being interviewed, the interviewer left the room and I read her notes and she said, skirt too short. I was 19 years old and you know, doing the best I could to look smart for an interview. Didn't get that job. The other one was a telesales job, so no customers would see me. And at the time, I had a slightly bizarre hairstyle. Didn't get that because I didn't fit their look. Um, interesting not to fit a look when you're not going to be seen, but there you go. Uh, so they ended up sending me for a pharmacy job anyway, the one I didn't want. And I got it. And I spent... A while working there with a very lecherous pharmacist who encouraged me to help him count out tablets while he felt my ass. Um, I stayed there for a while, um, but yeah, it was challenging. Memories from there are the time somebody came in asking for KY jelly and I didn't know what that was so I yelled across the pharmacy, where do we keep the KY jelly? Cue lots of blushes from everybody. Um, having to rearrange the makeup samples after somebody came in and thought it was totally okay to let their two-year-old play with all the samples and make an absolute mess. I left there because somebody got fired for stealing. Um, and yeah, okay, not right to steal, but she was on minimum wage cleaning the pharmacy and I understood why she was slipping a few things into her pocket to sell outside. It was a difficult and unrewarding job and I, I just didn't want to be there anymore, so I left. So there I was, out of university, out of work. Still not quite 21, or getting close to 21, 22. Not really sure what to do. And I saw this job that involved talking on the phone and earning commission. It was a sex line. So I went for the interview. I still looked pretty young, pretty shy. Um... The, the guy who ran the place looked at me and said, I don't really think you've got what it takes, but we'll go through the interview anyway. So how the interview process worked was he went into another room and called for this kind of sex call thing to see how it all went. And three seconds in, he was like, you're hired. Yeah, so great memories from that job. Um, my mother trying to be all understanding and proud 
walked into a cafe, evening cafe that she'd started frequenting because she was going through her realisation, her um, self-actualization phase. So she was hanging out in the same place as I did, walked in there and she shouted out, here comes my daughter, the prostitute, like that was something to be proud of, and is making sex calls or responding to sex calls a prostitution role? I don't know to this day, I don't know, but it made me feel awful doing that job. There was it's like a call centre, so you sit in little pods and you listen to phone calls and people are charged the equivalent of, of a pound a minute. And the longest calls I had were from people who were really, really lonely. You know, you spend half an hour talking to somebody who's just lonely you know, it's not about the sex, it's just about a voice to talk to. But then the other calls, the calls in between, were just so utterly vile that I used to go and shower in between calls. And the night I left there was when I couldn't get in and tried to find out why I couldn't get in. It was because the person who owned the business, his son had been taken to hospital unexpectedly, so there was no access to the property, and I don't know, I was young, but I, I just couldn't reconcile the dichotomy, the, the juxtaposition of this guy running some kind of sex call thing from his garage while trying to look after his son and yeah that was the end of that one job number nine came about when i was homeless because my house had burnt down in between flunking out of teaching college and trying to work in a full-time job I'd started art college because, you know, that's the next logical step. But it seems that trying to be an artist costs a lot more than trying to be a teacher. So I had nowhere to live, no money, and a very expensive habit in paints and materials. I was living in my car at the time and I had no shoes. I'd lost everything in the fire. I was wearing clothes that people had donated to me, but nobody had shoes that fitted me. So I was kind of roaming the streets in Johannesburg in Yeovil, which is a very forgiving, very artistic community in those days. One night I was just walking up and down selling drawings for beer. So not really selling drawings, just exchanging, bartering. And 
somebody called me into a jazz club and introduced me to the manager and said, you know, this might be someone that you'd like working here. And he looked at me and he was like, yeah, you're hired, you're fired. He pointed to the barman and basically gave me his job. I think it was a joke. I think the barman was already moving on. He was going to uni himself. I was wearing a chiffon top, cycling shorts and barefoot, but apparently I fitted the picture. I was 21 and a bit at the time. And that was actually a really great episode in my life. I was at art college, I was painting, yeah, I was living in a car and painting materials came out of the boot of my car. And at night, I just was in the jazz club. It was great, you know, um, free food, free drink, free music, a lot of camaraderie. Best memories from there are one night somebody was pretty rude and gave me some negative feedback and handed me a, a like payment for a bill without a tip and I said fuck you very much and he said what did you say and I said I said thank you very much and he said no you didn't I want to speak to your manager so he went to the manager and said what I'd said and the guy said the manager my manager the owner of the club Alfona said well if she don't like you I don't either <laughs> so fuck off and don't ever bother coming back it was a pretty cool time I was a hell of a lot younger than anybody else there and I learned a lot a hell of a lot um it was fun. It was it was frightening and exciting and I'd probably still be there if I hadn't emigrated. Job number ten happened after three years at the jazz club. Some Weird stuff went down. Life was getting pretty dangerous. So working at the club had enabled me to get into a flat again. Um, I'm still at our college, kind of. But things were fracturing quite a lot and... My dad and stepmother had sent or offered my siblings and half-siblings, step-siblings, a trip to England for their 21st. And my father said to me, what did we give you for your 21st? It was like a carriage clock made of plastic. And he said, well, that's really not fair. You should have your trip to England too. I was like, why would I even want to go there? You know, 
what on earth would I want to be doing in England? But a lot of stuff went down and I thought it would be a good idea to leave just for a little bit until people forgot who I was or forgot why they had some sort of reason to be angry with me. I'm trying not to sound paranoid. So I accepted the trip to England for six weeks with the idea that I would see the art galleries, like travel around Europe a little bit and go to all the major galleries, see all the paintings that I'd always wanted to see in real life. So I packed my bags and went off to England and did a little bit of travelling, ran out of money really fast, like way before my ticket back was happening didn't really have anywhere to stay so I applied for a job at a pub in Brixton just so I'd have somewhere to sleep and make a bit of money until it was time to go home so that was job number 10 crazy crazy time you know the first night I worked there they introduced me to Irish Mist, was, which was apparently the induction process. I didn't even manage to make my bed or change. I just passed out face down on this bare mattress in this pub in England. Cold and confused and very, very drunk. And that was job number 10. Job number 11 came out of a regular at the pub. She said that I would probably be really good at doing makeup counters on a contracted basis. So you just get called in the morning and you go and substitute on a makeup counter which actually worked out quite well because by that time I was having a relationship with the publican and it wasn't really appropriate for me to be a barmaid anymore. That relationship didn't last, obviously. But for a while I lived in the pub and got a call at 7, 8 in the morning, can you please go to House of Fraser, can you go to Harrods, can you go to Harvey Nichols, work on the makeup counters and just make it up as you go along, or Izumiyaki perfume, go and spray people and look like you know what you're doing, and that was quite fun, quite challenging best one was having to work on Chanel counter at House of Fraser and sell makeup when I don't understand anything that the products are written in. It's all French. There's no guidance. You just get launched onto a counter and have to try and pretend you know what you're talking about. But I kind of scraped through it. Job number 12 came out of 
breaking up with the publican in Brixton and being headhunted from doing random interim roles to getting a full-time role at Harrods. Firstly, working on the Swarovski counter and taunting Americans and then being headhunted from there for high fashion, ladies fashion and from there being headhunted to Harvey Nichols which I suppose kind of segues into job 13 Job number 13 was not a singular role because by then I needed somewhere to live again because I wasn't living in the pub anymore. So main job was job number 13 which was Harvey Nichols, high fashion, looking incredibly expensive in a staff uniform that retailed at a thousand pounds because it wasn't a uniform, it was the whatever they were selling that season. Uh, standing around looking kind of bored, kind of expensive, doing what you can. But it wasn't really enough, so I had other jobs that went along with those ones. I'm going to merge all these into one because they all happened at the same time. So jobs 13, 14 and 15. 13 was working in Harvey Nichols during the day. 14 was leaving there and doing duty manager at a restaurant in Fulham and Fifteen was clearing bottles at a pub in Clapham and performing quite different roles at each one but basically all the same so Harvey Nichols, assistant manager selling to people or sometimes not selling anything because nobody came past leaving in the evening and spending the weekends doing the duty manager shifts at the restaurant and training people, running the restaurant, doing ordering and 15, literally just collecting bottles on a Friday night and all of it paid my rent. Job number 16, Harold's a completely different episode in my life. I left 13, 14 and 15 to have a child, my oldest, my wonderful oldest son and I didn't work for two years from when he was born. I went and studied psychology and then his father and I split up and then I was
as a single mother with responsibilities and things that mattered a lot more than they ever had. And I got a job at The Big Issue. And that was amazing. It was so fulfilling. It was so real. It's probably, to this day, the best job I've ever had. It, the jazz club was incredible because it really matched me and it matched what I was doing. But the big issue really mattered. And it's the only job I can ever remember having that I leapt out of bed in the morning because I couldn't wait to be there. The hours were hard. The work was hard. The stress was high. The working conditions were really poor. I remember entering all the sales figures from all the regions in winter, sitting at a computer with the roof. The roof had a hole in it and there was snow falling down my neck while I was entering data and trying to predict sales and trying to order papers based on last year's figures and current week figures and what was going on in the market. And I didn't care. I didn't care that I was cold. I didn't care that it was a really bizarre place to work and I was working really long hours. It was absolutely fine because I felt like what I was doing mattered. And I just, I don't know, I, it, it felt like for the first time in my life I was doing something that had reason and purpose and there's, there was nothing easy about that role at all, but it was so, so, so satisfying. Job number 17 ran concurrently with Big Issue, but I've put it a little bit separate because it was a totally different experience. So while I was working at the Big Issue, I was also studying in the evenings. And I was supporting myself and my child at the same time. And yeah, big thing to do. So studying, child, flat. So I took an additional role, which was working at Iceland. I worked at the big issue from six o'clock Monday morning till one o'clock Saturday afternoon. Then worked at Iceland from two o'clock on Saturday afternoon to close all the way through to Sunday to close and Iceland was, whew, wow, 
such a strange job. I learned about how not to manage people. I learned about being totally and utterly different from everybody you work with. I learned about really great customer service in the worst conditions. You know, just because it's Iceland doesn't mean you have to be crap at what you do. I also learned what it was like to work all the time and on minimum wage. It was interesting, very, very interesting. Job number 18 is still the big issue, but it's a slightly different take on it. So, due to restructuring and whatever, why people do that, I ended up managing five teams instead of my one. I'm trying to do that whole thing of merging different people, different ways of looking at things. I think I did okay. Um, but then I got pregnant with the second child and went off on maternity leave and when I came back nothing was quite the same. All completely legal of course but lots of things just not quite the same as they were before. And um, one day I got really pretty annoyed with how things had changed. And I took the day off because I didn't feel well at all. Went back into work and my new manager asked why I hadn't been in and I said I just just woke up and thought I just don't give a fuck and she's like what did you just say I was like yeah you heard me I just woke up and I thought I really don't give a fuck I can't be bothered coming in and she was like well if that's the way you feel you should probably resign so I said get me a pen and paper and I will and yeah, I left and my whole team left with me and a couple of days later I worked out that I was pregnant, <laughs> which was a little bit of a screw up because I could have stayed a little bit longer and got some benefits out of that. but. Everything happens for a reason. Job number 19 was a couple of roles, but I'm merging them because they came from agency work because I resigned from a proper job on a whim and a prayer and just generally being hacked off then discovered I was pregnant and needed to keep some money coming in. So I did agency work at a brick manufacturing 
place and a further education HR department. Very, very strange roles, both of them. But I marked my time until I could go on statutory maternity leave. So I worked right up until five days before my third child was born. And yeah, like me, SMP, good stuff. Job number 20 came out of deciding that I was mature enough to re-enter the teaching world. So I did the graduate teacher program and just re-entered teaching by working for a low wage in a school while studying and while I did that I took on restaurant jobs so firstly with Little Chef absolutely dreadful then a Michelin starred restaurant even worse and finally Brewers Fair which was actually a pretty great job you know people were really nice it paid well enough the hours were okay manageable teaching in a school during the day until it got to the point where I was advised that I needed to stop moonlighting as a waitress and focus on learning to be a teacher and that all worked out fine I qualified and went on to get a job as a fully qualified teacher. Job number 21. I should probably qualify that the reason I could do the graduate teacher program was that while I was working at The Big Issue, I also qualified as a psychologist, BSc Psychology, and I wanted to go on with that. I went to further that, but being a single mother and really not having enough money to carry on studying and also do the requisite being analysed hours on top of that. Yeah, there was no way I was going to attain that. So it made sense to go into the teaching thing, which paid enough to qualify so from there I went on to do my first qualified teaching job in a school in Maidstone and I think I can unreservedly say it was the worst experience of my life there's nothing quite like going into a job with all the enthusiasm and drive in the world and being totally destroyed by people who, I don't know, I don't know why, just want you to fail. And I think that was my first experience of working somewhere where 
nobody wants you to succeed or very few people want you to succeed and within a very short time I learnt not to confide in anybody I learnt that I was being excluded from decisions and requirements and then failing because I wasn't meeting requirements that I didn't know about. I had amazing support from my teaching assistants, incredible support. They were fabulous. I had huge class sizes with children with so many needs that you couldn't possibly 32 children 10 with additional learning needs it's just it's not a situation in which you can succeed and it didn't bother me that I wasn't succeeding, it bothered me that I wasn't able to help those children succeed, not only the ones with additional learning needs, but the ones that were achieving, and I couldn't help them grow, and it was frustrating and so soul-destroying, and to have that on top of having a staff room that was really quite hostile and awful. I ended up having a nervous breakdown and I couldn't go back. So that was the end of that. Job number 22 arose out of being a single mother to three children. And, yeah, just sheer desperation of you have to earn money because nobody else is going to do this. So I went for a job that I found in the job centre, weirdly enough. I went for the interview with absolutely no understanding of what I was applying for. And I was lucky enough to meet somebody who could see within me what I couldn't anymore. And I stayed there for nearly 10 years because when you've got a manager like that who can see your potential before you can and help you to grow beyond them to the point where I didn't need to be managed anymore I could just do it and I could do beyond that and then the day came where there was nobody like nobody else to grow me nowhere else to grow to and I was frustrated and annoyed and I started looking around found a really great job which required you to have at least a 2-1 at first level university. I got a 2-2, two, two. I missed a 2-1 by two, like 8.8% 8 
so I called up the people who were hiring, it was Aldi, and said I missed it by 0.8% and I'm experienced, qualified, you know, I've got it in spades, will you consider interviewing me? And they said absolutely not. And that spurred me on to get my master's and to work out how on earth I could get out of somewhere that I'd been for so long that had nothing left to offer me. And from there came job number 23. So when I'd been at JTL, the longest job ever, I tried to leave a couple of times I started trying to leave really seriously in 2014 was told by Aldi that I wasn't good enough and applied for 300 jobs in 6 months and didn't get anything that's when I was spurred to do the master's I achieved that and started applying again and got an interview at the Royal Albert Hall and waxed that, got a second interview. Apparently did really well at that too because I got the job. And I went in there with all the hope in the world. So throughout my working career, I've kind of notched up a little bit every time, got a little bit more salary, a little bit more kudos, a little bit more influence, yeah, a little bit more senior. I took a slight job cut to work at the Royal Albert Hall, but, you know, it's it's the Royal Albert Hall, you know, it's got to be worth something. They'd never had anybody in that role before, and that was, that was going to be something special, because I could create it from nothing. Wow. It was huge, a huge, huge, huge role, and I really, really, did my best to make the most of it. I really wanted to be everything. I wanted to pull everything together and all the strands show that all these years and years of working could come to something. I'm still working this one out. I I can't... I can't define this because it's not a failure on their part or a failure on my part. Something didn't work. Something, I don't know, maybe I wasn't big enough, maybe I wasn't hard enough, maybe the role was too large. I couldn't do it. And I'll figure that one out later.
job number 24, which would be 26 working years, job number 24. So what can you say about me or about how it's all been? Am I feckless? Am I unable to commit? I think the fact that I've worked all my working life and then some would suggest that it's not about being lazy or not fitting in, you know, I get great leaving cards. I get people saying how much I've contributed. Job 24, I'm trying to scale down. I'm trying to find work-life balance where there never has been. I've missed so much of my children's lives. I've missed so much of being a real person. You know, it's it's cool. I've I've managed to support a lot of people through a lot of years. I've managed to buy and sell property. I've managed to hit the forty percent tax bracket if that's an achievement. But now I'm scaling down. I'm going to be below the 40% tax bracket. I'm going to spend more time with my children. And it's probably all too little too late. And, you know, I've undertaken numerous qualifications. I've upskilled. I've upgraded and now all I want in this one, this job, is to do something well, to go home at the end of the day knowing I've achieved, to see measurable results, to be guided in the right way, to not be asked to produce report after report nobody responds to, to not be blamed when people don't hear what they want to hear. I just want to do what I do well. I want to earn enough money to keep things going and I want to spend time with my family and that's going to be my final job. <laughs>